million dollar question. We all believe in the possibility of beloved community, but how do we build it? There is no one answer to this question and perhaps that's what makes it so challenging. If we knew the steps, the formula, the process, we'd all start tomorrow, right? But there are some options for us to consider. And one I'd like to think about today is what if we considered building the beloved community as a spiritual practice? A spiritual practice that begins with a personal practice and then extends out. A daily practice that is about who we are and how we show up each day. In June of 2018, I participated in our Unitarian Universalist General Assembly for the first time. General Assembly or for GA, or GA for short, is a time when Unitarian Universalists come together from all over. And that summer, the immigration crisis at the border with Mexico was front and center. People were outraged at the news of parents being separated from their children. And I began to hear people in the news, on social media, repeating the phrase, this is not who we are. If I didn't say it out loud, it was at least something that I had thought about and thought, yes, this isn't who we are. On Friday evening of each General Assembly, the WHERE lecture is held. I think of it as like the keynote speaker for a conference. I filed into the lecture hall that evening among my fellow UUs with great anticipation, but not really knowing what to expect. I had heard about the long tradition of speakers who had delivered this lecture in the past, Cornell West, Brian Stevenson, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., just to name a few. It's truly one of the events that you don't want to miss. And the speaker that year was Brittany Packnett, an activist and co-founder of Campaign Zero. She began to speak that evening about a spirit of expectancy, about how some people, particularly people of color, expect to know struggle in their lives, expect for life to be hard. And she referenced the crisis at the border that we had all been following. Packnett repeated that phrase, this is not who we are. And then she followed it with this. But this is who we have always been. And those who society has pushed to the margins have been trying to tell you so for years. I sat frozen in my seat as she named so many examples Indigenous people, descendants of enslaved Africans, Japanese Americans who were forced into internment camps, LGBTQ people, men and women who were incarcerated, the cash bail system, the war on drugs, which really was a war on poor people 
and people of color. The criminalization of poverty, the environmental racism that left people of Flint, Michigan without clean drinking water, the list went on and on. And in that moment, I saw how that one phrase, this is not who we are, that my white privilege was allowing me to choose to ignore the centuries of marginalization and oppression that has occurred in this country. My intentions were good, but oh, did I get it wrong. I recognized in that moment that I had and still have today a lot to learn. And so I look for opportunities to raise my own awareness, to confront my sense of white privilege, to retrain my brain to confront my unconscious bias. And my work is not done. I know that this is work that I will need to continue to do because old habits are really easy to slip back into. But it's not enough just to do the work ourselves. Building beloved community must also mean that we engage in the work to bring equity, justice, and inclusion to all parts of our society. At this last year's General Assembly, I attended a workshop with Chris Crass. He asked us to consider who we might want to invite into this conversation. And he asked us to make it personal, to think about why this work matters to each of us, to speak from our heart to those who are closest to you, and to remember that we never truly know who else is listening in. Our words and actions may seem to not impact the person we intend them for, but who else is nearby that might be inspired or motivated by our words? Legislation and broad-based reform are vital and necessary. It is important for us to show up at protests and rallies, but I think that creating lasting beloved community also happens in those interactions of one person to another. In our daily interactions, in the ways we choose to spend our time and the things we choose to give our attention and focus. Reverend Victoria Safford says, the beloved community is not a goal or a destination. And it was not any kind of idealistic Christian utopian dream, but instead a way of being spiritually, politically, economically, emotionally, intellectually. She goes on to say that beloved community is an attitude, an orientation of the heart. It's a disciplined understanding of your own relationship to other people to everyone else on the planet, to every living thing. If you are religious, she says, this is a religious discipline and it goes by many names. If you are speaking, seeking spiritual wholeness, spiritual balance, it is a spiritual discipline. 
If you are an ethical humanist, it is a deliberate moral stance. In this daily practice, a spiritual politics that requires inclusivity, nonviolence, and the hard discipline of radical hospitality. It requires love, agape. A way of being, an attitude, an orientation of the heart, a disciplined understanding. Building beloved community is heart work and it requires hard work. It requires of us to examine our lives, to ask difficult questions and to be okay with discomfort. When we engage those closest to us, friends, neighbors, coworkers, in conversations around equity and inclusion, we open a dialogue that has the potential to shift one's thinking. And so every interaction becomes an opportunity for change. But here's the part that I think is really key. These conversations must be grounded in grace and love. When our words come from a place of love, they are more likely to be heard and received. And we must be open to change ourselves, knowing that there is always more to learn, more growing to do. None of us has all the answers, nor should we feel like we need to. And here's another thing. We will mess it up. We will get it wrong. Even with our best efforts, our best intentions, at times our words and actions will cause harm. But that doesn't mean we should refrain from engaging in the conversation or the work. Annie Gonzalez Milliken says that when we need to, that we need to sit with our discomfort to name and to own that which makes us feel uncomfortable and to turn our judgment into curiosity. I find that when I become curious about things, I am open to new understanding. And this is true when we feel judgment for others and for ourselves. It's important to ask the question, where is this discomfort coming from? And what can I learn from it? Where will it lead me next? And lastly, I think it's important for us to extend grace. One way grace can be defined is love shown to the unlovely. It's based on mercy, not merit. Extend grace to yourself, to all those who are engaging in this work, and to those who have not yet seen the importance of the work. May we lead with our hearts in all that we do. May we extend love to all. And may we grow ever closer to living into the possibility 
of a truly beloved community for everyone. Our closing hymn today is We'll Build a Land. And Carolyn McDade has approved non-binary language, siblings in spirit to replace sisters and brothers. She's also approved substituting love for God and transformed for anointed. So you're invited now to use the language that speaks to you as you remain muted and sing along in our closing hymn. 